Yo, 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 we here for the coding stuff. Yeah, I don't even, I can't, I can't do that. You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 19. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and much more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net and follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head over to www.codingblocks.net and find our other social links at the top of the page. And with that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and, I, and I'm Michael Outlaw. And uh, today we're going to be talking about design patterns uh, again. So uh, I think this is what the third or fourth maybe third, that we've done third, this third. Yep. Okay, get a little tied up there. But it, first, it's the first. It's the third of like a hundred. Right. There's a lot. Uh, I think we mentioned the number. I think it's like at least twenty something in the actual book, and then a bunch more after the fact. I feel like there's twenty something just behavioral patterns. Yeah, it, there's a lot, which is what we're getting into today. Yep. So this is our third installment. But first, we wanted to bring you a little bit of news first. Um, number one, Alan and I made it out to Atlanta Code Camp, which was phenomenal. And it was $10, um, which it was fantastic for an all-day God, conference. that's a lot for the conference. Well, I mean, that just paid for my lunch. <laughs> so I got a shirt. You know, I got some other stuff. I didn't win a prize. Yeah, um, I didn't either. And I tried. And there were a lot of prizes. Like one in ten people walked away with a prize. What, what were the probably were there some like really awesome stuff here? Like, there oh was my God. Neduinos, Xboxes, monitors, an Xbox. They gave away a ton of leap motions, an all-in-one printer, and all. I wanted the printer, man. I actually did want the printer. Uh, that was the joke. People were like, "What's that do?" Wait, there, there was there a Surface given away? I know there were a yep. couple of uh, there were a couple of tablets. Well, well, based on our last discussion about gaming, I'm surprised that the discussion wasn't like, "What does that Xbox do?" Right? <laughs> oh, dude, it, it was ridiculous. But also, I mean, the day was killer, right? Like, I mean, it was from eight to five. The problem was, dude, I was worn out by the end of the day. Yep. <laughs> Just completely mentally drained. A full day of learning, and you're like, I'm done. Well, you know, like like we talked about this for a second, but in college, you know, you had those buffer classes like history and stuff that didn't really matter, and so so you had those breaks. You know, I'm not saying I took bowling, <laughs> you know, but man, this was like all day hardcore stuff. I mean, we we did some Angular courses. We did um, we did uh, God, what were some of the other? There's a lot of Angular. There's a lot of cloud type stuff. Um, reactive extensions was awesome, Jeff Woolley. Um, there's the, that VNext presentation that we happened to see at a user group, but it was done again at the conference, which was probably awesome. I, I had already seen it. Um, Man, th- there was really just a, a ton of good information. I was really out there. surprised at how much how popular the Angular sessions were. Like, I actually volunteered, and so I would kind of walk around a little bit sometimes, and, and I would see like the people lining up at the doors for <laughs> so, the next so Angular really, talk. You're subscri- you're you were surprised that Angular was a big deal. I no, like, but I mean it's kind of a thing. I don't know. <laughs> but dude, no, no. <laughs> you maybe heard about it. Look, man, I was actually <laughs> surprised because the Angular stuff was held in one of the bigger rooms. Like it was a huge auditorium. There was standing room only. It held at least what a couple hundred people. Yep. Like I would venture to say, I think they said that at the peak that day there were like six hundred people there or something along those lines. I wouldn't be surprised if two hundred and fifty people were in that one room at that one point in time. Like it was a hugely popular topic. As a matter of fact, one of the other talks was on Ionic, which is really cool. Uh, but that's basically Angular for mobile cross-platform development. That wasn't as popular because I don't think anybody had heard about it. But it was basically Angular for that. So a um, lot of great topics. A lot of great topics. Met some cool people. Uh, so, so tell me, since I wasn't able to to be there and 
many of our listeners might not have been there too. Like, uh, give me like a good takeaway from it. Like, you know, some little gem of knowledge. You're like, oh my god. I think it's a good time to be a developer is my big thing. There's a lot of stuff happening on the UI and the web right now. There's a lot of stuff with SignalR and kind of cloud and, um, you know, VNX. So it's just a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipe. I didn't see anything on Roslyn. It does tend to be kind of a heavy on the Microsoft side conference, which is probably why I was surprised to see it so much Angular. But um, there was a lot kind of coming down in my ecosystem. So it was exciting about to see that. I think my takeaway was how hot um, web technologies really are. I mean, a lot of this revolved around, you know, Angular, uh, Ionic, like I said. There were, other, there were other frameworks, but a lot of it was basically, you know, where do you see the industry shifting type to type? It, it, there was a lot of that. See, I'm, I'm really surprised by your answer because I was thinking that this might be a great segue because, you know, if any of our listeners are, <laughs> you know... Follow follow any of the blog posts that we have on the site. Which, if you're not already, you know, give it a look. Uh, and and maybe furthermore, you see some of the posts that we would throw out on Reddit. And if you did happen to catch it, there was a period of time just recently where Alan unfortunately got destroyed on Reddit, or at least it felt that way. Man, that was all right. All right. So are are, are the bruises a little away? strong? It destroys a little strong, so I might have gotten some strong comments on Reddit. Like, I mean, if anybody's ever posted anything on Reddit as a programmer, you'll find out real quick that there there are some useful things that are posted and some not so useful, and you have to just try and keep an even head about it. But, yeah, I definitely wrote an article that was talking about uh, JavaScript where you use the double exclamation mark. and Bang, bang. Man, yeah, and I called it bang, bang JavaScript. We'll leave a link in the show notes, but... I totally screwed up and did a double equal in one of my performance tests instead of a triple equal, so it was actually doing a cast on it. And, dude, I got run through the coals on that one, which which is fine. And, actually, I do appreciate it. I want to point out a guy named uh, Travis Watson who came over and, and commented on the post. And, actually, he commented over on Reddit as well, but extremely helpful uh, feedback. And I actually did go back in and tweak the, the article and fix some of the things Um so, so here's the thing where I felt bad though about this whole thing, you know, because, you know, honestly, I felt bad just reading some of the, not all of them, right? <laughs> but it, there were one in particular that just went like over the top on Reddit, where it was like, well, that was a bit unnecessary. Um, but you know, just seeing like the the general thread of of how some of the conversation was going on the Reddit thread, and it made me think like, man. This only happened because of one small typo. Yeah. And and it like really like does take it out of the context of this article, right? Like how many times does that happen? Like one one typo led you down this wrong path in your coding career, right? This was the that exact same thing, only now it was taken out taken out of the context of the pro, of a programming, but now it's like in an article. Yeah. It's right. it's kind of interesting. It's also humbling as a programmer because it it makes you realize that everything you put out there, like if if too many people see something like that and they take away the wrong thing, which initially it would have been, then you know that's something that you've got to react quick to. the The good thing is you get a lot of helpful insight from it, right? My my throw <laughs> throw away the oh, temper. You got a lot of insight. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. Like, a lot of it was actually people saying, well, the, you know, um, they they would give reasons why they didn't think that worked or whatever. And that's actually good, right? 
It, then there's the 10 to 15% of them that are just basically, it, it's, it's the Reddit trolls, so, right? Uh, I mean, we said we were going to include a, a, a link to this in the show notes, but do you want to give like a quick overview of what you were trying to get at with the Bang Bang? Okay, so yeah, Bang Bang was brought up actually during the Angular speak when we had gone to Atlantic Code Camp, and the guy was basically saying, hey, this is a quick way to do uh, a truthy type evaluation of a variable in JavaScript. Well, as I got sitting down and thinking about it, I was like, well, why would you ever use this, right? And so I started going through, uh, like, I basically created a map of different types of variables in JavaScript and, and did two types of comparisons. Did the if and then that variable just on its own to evaluate it as truthy, and then I did an if uh, not not or it uh, if bang bang and right. then the variable to do the – basically all it does is cast it to a, a – an inverse boolean and then and then inverts it back to the truthy version of itself right so a true boolean representation of it well what i found is right like really I, when i did my performance test what i screwed up is when i did the comparison i did a double equal instead of a triple equal right so you had one one compare one performance test that did the triple equal and then a second performance test that did a double equal and that threw off the stats which then it led to the wrong conclusion, which was, right. hey, the bang-bang might be faster. Well, ultimately, the bang-bang, the only time that you would ever really want to use it is if you were trying to, to get a, yourself. If you're trying to uh. get back a true Boolean from something. So, like, if you had, if you had a method that said, you know, is string uh, or, or is string uh, true, something like that, whatever, th- then you might do a bang-bang on a variable. But otherwise, you I thought it was just, if you wanted to get that that if you wanted to get that object represented as a as variable a boolean. into uh, I'm sorry as a boolean yes. into another variable you didn't want to use it for an if condition you want you want the value to be stored in a variable if if you want to use it as a boolean later you might but like what I'm saying is so I want to have some variable called it is truthy and then I would say is truthy equal bang bang some yes, bar you could do something and that, like that that was that was the reason where you might want to to use the bang bang is the first bang would convert it into the, the boolean, boolean the negated but, but boolean. that would then yeah that would then not it right and so then the the second not would undo that it, to revert it back the so. only time it really matters is if you need that boolean to do something later on but otherwise just do if and then the variable and you get the truthy representation and it'll fall through but but it's just one of those things where as programmers i mean heck there was what the uh, i don't even remember what the uh uh, what the problem was, but there was something was that the SSL where they had an if without uh, without the brackets or whatever. Oh no, you're talking about the Apple, Apple. Go to fail. Yeah, yeah. And so, so it's one of those type situations. We don't know if that was on purpose or not, but but I, it's I'm just, pretty sure that was the NSA. So, as programmers, <laughs> though, like you just have to be super aware of type things that you do because. If you draw the wrong conclusion based off a mistake that you had in your code, how many people are going to read that, right? So, so what do you think the lessons learned were? Well, I think the lesson is that it's good to kind of put yourself out there and throw things out because ninety percent of the oh, comments I that was the bad part. Ninety like, percent <laughs> of the comments were actually very positive. They there were. was a lot of really good feedback about it. And also, if you know, if Alan hadn't posted this and you know people kind of hopped on it, he may not have known that there was a mistake and gone on the rest of his life thinking that uh, you know this is uh, you know something good to do. So it's nice to kind of collaborate and come away with that. And it's unfortunate that you know I, I found with the, at least the bigger communities on Reddit, it's like the more people there are, um, the greater chance of something nasty happening. So that's why you should stick to uh, slash C sharp. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. 
Well, but, I was actually curious if you thought that maybe if uh, any unit testing would have would have caught that. I don't think unit testing would have helped here. I do. Um, what I really got away from this, though, is that in JavaScript, you have to do weird made-up operators just to get a freaking Boolean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Well, I'll have to find that in the resources at any rate. But, yeah, it was it was definitely a good-slash-bad experience. Nobody likes to put out code that, that wasn't perfect the first time. But, again, as part of doing this, like, you know, a lot of people don't put themselves out there. And I will say it's a nice it's a nice way. Now, granted, you have to keep a level head because you will get attacked, period. There's no question about it. You will eventually get attacked. But if you can take away something from it, like, oh, crap, I should have paid attention to that or whatever, then it, it can actually be a positive experience overall. So it, it was interesting, a little bit frustrating, but, you know, hey, <laughs> life goes on. Yeah, but your comment about, like, the JavaScript having to have this weird, which this isn't specifically an operator. This is just, you know, the same operator used twice. Like, if you wanted to do this, same similar type of operation in C sharp, right? I would cast a bool. It's very like, you can tell by looking at the line exactly what I intended to do. Bool dot parse. <laughs> 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 yeah, and then it throws an exception because it can't be casted as that type. Because <laughs> yep. there's none of this truthy stuff. I, this this whole truthy word is just made up for JavaScript weirdness. Well, that, that's the whole weird is like the fact that you you know. Every every other language you would use the double equal uh, except in JavaScript. Yeah, it's uh, whatever. You want to use the triple equal. And don't even get me started on ifies and all the other weird ways of creating private variable scope in JavaScript. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on other news, uh, I also it, so I went to Code Academy. I don't know why. I think just because I'd heard about it and thought it was cool. I ended up finishing the Ruby training on it, which was kind of cool. If you haven't messed with Ruby, it's an interesting language. Got you some gems. I did get me some gems. I got a lot of gems, as a matter of fact. So uh, definitely a cool experience. And, and we get asked a lot of times about, hey, you know, what are good learning resources for people trying to get started? We just talked about uh, uh, Pluralsight versus Lynda.com. Yeah. And, and Code Academy. Look, guys, go check it out. Like, I, I was more doing it just because I was somewhat interested in how they had implemented this. And they did a nice job. I won't say it's 100% perfect, but if you're somebody trying to learn something from scratch and you don't have a lot of real-world experience with any of this, they do a nice job of walking you through step-by-step and giving you good examples. So uh, I would definitely go check out Code Academy. We'll have that up on the uh, show notes as well. Would would you alter your um, stance from the last episode then? Uh, What was my stance from the last episode? PluralSiteVersusLynda.com. You, I believe you'd said that uh, Lynda.com was more for like software how-tos and Pluralsight was more developer-heavy, if I remember right. Yeah, what was that got to do with Code Academy? Well, I'm curious now if you oh. were, would say, like, you know, here's another code-heavy one, and I would recommend this one over that. Or Oh, well, this is a free one. This is more like uh, learn as you go. So it's they literally right. give you examples, you type it in. I would say for anybody just trying to learn something and not deep dives, right? So this isn't deep dives. This is kind of getting... Uh, intro type stuff into different languages like they had some for javascript they had some for creating websites i had things for ruby php so if you're trying to get involved without actually having to go through courses or classes or anything code academy was actually an excellent resource uh, i would put it up there with the other two as must have for your tool belt for what they have uh, available so i want to say some thank yous here uh, we got a new review on iTunes. Now, again, 
some people, their parents give them the most strange, most bizarre names. So maybe, maybe this one is like one of those uh, nicknames where this guy is like really tiny. So his name is Giant Six O Seven, and he is very verbose in his uh, his uh, ride up here. So he says, "Well done, sirs." Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, very much. That, that was awesome. We greatly appreciate it. I'm giving you a fist bump over the air right now. <laughs> and, and honestly, we were as excited about that short one as we are all of them. So, yeah. We also got another one on Stitcher, which uh, uh, came These two from are like opposites. NJ Graham. Yeah, this guy, he wrote a little bit extra, and it was awesome. So this is what he wrote. I just started listening to this podcast a few days ago, having started with the Design Pattern series. These guys are great. Lots of topics and discussions that can help boost the knowledge base of newbies and probably some old-time programmers as well. These fellows are very endearing in that they each sound like an average dude who just has a lot of good information on coding. Definitely more reliable than some other podcasts I've listened to. Keep it up, guys. So seriously, very much appreciate that. I mean, that's tr- that's kind of what we try to do, right? Like we try to be, I don't know, endearing, but you know, somewhat funny and well, somewhat informative. But the, but the <laughs> point is, is that we want you guys to know how much we appreciate that you guys took the time to a uh, click on the five stars and, and and leave us that rating, and then b took the time to write it up, write up a, a statement or two about you know how you feel about. It. So we greatly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, hope, hope that more come along. Yeah. And additionally, also, uh, the, those that have gone up to our contact form or just email us at comments at coding blocks, definitely send in any questions or ideas or anything. Like, I mean, we really enjoy getting those cause it, you know, it helps us move on with it. So. Yeah. We're going to have to have like a, a Jira ticket just to keep track of all the <laughs> backlog of, of ideas that are popping in here. And, uh, we can filter these to the top of the queue. Works for me. All right, so let's get into the meat of this thing. So today, again, we're talking about behavioral design patterns. And initially, I was going to do the visitor pattern. Yeah, that got scratched. I don't even know how to describe that thing. And there were other sites that I think Outlaw found that they're like, yeah, this is one of the most complicated design patterns that exist. I've never seen it used anywhere. Well, Um, I I do want to do the visitor pattern justice, but it didn't feel like, uh, it felt like it would be better served if we if we held off on that one. Um, so that's maybe why we do we're... a video. Ooh. Maybe that would help with some of the diagrams and stuff. We were having a hard time just talking about it ourselves, all having read the same. Yeah, information. because there's so many there's there's a lot of moving parts required to the visitor pattern. So yeah. it's not one that you could just easily talk about, you know, verbally without having something to visually reference. So yeah, we'll have to come up with some way to to do that one, but. So instead of visitor pattern, we opted for the observer pattern. Yep. So basically, this is actually a fairly simple one. So it maintains its dependence and notifies them of events by calling a method on the dependent. So in a nutshell, really what you do is you have these these events that can happen, and you add these add other objects as subscri- subscribers to that event. So once you do that, basically any time an event fires off, then it knows how to go and notify those those listening objects. And it, so it's really a simple model. There, there's a ton of examples out there, which we'll go into soon. Um, but one of the downsides to this that was kind of interesting when we were looking at it was um, when you do this, it can actually cause memory leaks because the class that is adding these, these um, response handlers to 
this this event it's got a strong hold on those objects. So if it never releases those and never garbage collects them or disposes of them properly, then basically you just have all these objects kind of staying alive and they never get, they never get thrown away. Well, I think the way we should word that though, is that like, not that it can cause them, but it's just like one of the risks that you have to be aware of during the implementation is. Yeah. It's really easy to hang on to a reference when you, right. you don't need to, and the object's not doing anything useful anymore. Exactly. So that, that was kind of interesting. Um, but again, it's just really a, a publisher subscriber model. I mean, it's it's pretty simple at its core. And uh, one of the things in .NET is just event handlers. Like you have a button click, and you see this a lot in uh, or in the old school where you had user controls, ASCXs. You know, you'd add an event handler or something, and anytime uh, something happened, it would fire it off, and it just knew that something happened, and it would go execute its code. So. You know, it, it's kind of that way of broadcasting those events back to those controls, right? Yep. So if you're like working with a grid view or something, you might have events like on row changed or on new row, something like that. And then what happens is, um, you know, this you can hook any number of events up to it. They're all observing this event. And so when this event happens, it's going to trigger those off uh, one after the other. Yep. So there are a bunch of interesting um Sources I found within MSDN, uh, you know, Microsoft has a lot of great documentation. Um, sometimes, not not on necessarily every pattern, but they ha- did have specific documentation on the observer pattern, and they actually have this in use in the reactive extensions. And so, there's two interfaces that are available: iObservable and iObserver, um, that that both, uh, you know, are. are uh, ah, help help to you know use this this pattern, right? Yep, and you know I I don't think we actually mentioned like the kind of most common use case for something like this. So the most common example, which is I think at least, is like a chat server where you can kind of log into this chat room, and when you log in, you're registering to receive these events, so that when Alan types a message, then you know someone knows that I need to see it, and Outlaw needs to see it. So we're observing these changes to the room. And so whenever someone adds something, anyone who's observing this room is going to see those changes and their, you know, their computers are responsible for displaying those messages and doing whatever else. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that would be it if, if you have something that's basically well, listening. At the event is you enter something. This is specifically one direction, though, and so that's why I was kind of like, uh, no, but, but that's your so, example with the, the chat, though, is kind of two-way. No, not really. Not if they're all published. So the event is something gets entered, right? And then that, as soon as something gets entered, then it notifies all the listeners. So they could do it. Now, if you're talking about true two-way communication, but that's not what this is. You're updating like a central object. That object then notifies everything out. So I tell the chat server, hey, I send this message, and it's responsible for knowing, you know, there's no peer-to-peer going on. It knows who all subscribed to this room, and it knows to send it out to only those people. Now, there's multiple ways that chat could be handled, but in what we're talking about right there, that actually would be a way that you're doing it. You update this central system and then it notifies out all the subscribers to that i guess like another another example though that i was thinking but i don't really hmm, or the observers i should say anything that's observing then when that event fires off then it would actually notify all those observers because i guess like one thing i was thinking about was like notifications um like so so if you like think about like iOS devices or or like any kind of mobile device, right? Like so, you you your application subscribes to an event, right? And then the server side, 
uh, would want to notify all of those subscribers. I was kind of thinking like in PubSub model, but that's, well, that's a really bad example for this, for this pattern though. Um, yeah. That's more distributed type of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, the event handlers, like the grid thing was probably the perfect example. I mean, you see that all the time in .NET. Yeah. The only thing that that's kind of weird about that is that those events do happen in, in sequence. So it calls the first and then the second and the third. And strictly speaking in the observer pattern, uh, I don't think it really, um, talks about the order in which things happen. So it could be possible that it, you know, all gets kind of shot out at, you know, essentially the same time. Or in not any particular order. Yeah. Well, that's why I was trying to make the analogy of the, like, iOS notifications, because in that scenario, there's definitely, it's definitely going from the server to the device. So it's, you know, you had the one way. And as far as the server is concerned, it doesn't care if, which device, uh, you know, responded to the event when or what order, right? Like each device responding to the event is completely independent of each but other. But that's not right. within the same so, system. That kind of I know. So that's what that I'm saying. Demonstrates like, what you're talking about, but it's not. I'm, the, I'm only using that as a conceptual way to like, to, like how can you how could you visualize this? Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, and I'm not. And that's why it. Yeah. It's kind of a weird. Well, way I think to that's good. That though. There is no real, you know, textbook kind of example of these patterns aside from the textbooks. You know, when you get out into the real world, <laughs> good call. Except for the, there's, there's but, no real textbook example except in the textbooks. Yeah, but you're never going to run across a case That's where you can say, great. "Hey, this is the observer pattern. Let me go copy the code from Wikipedia, and I can go home for the day." You know, copy, paste, save, commit. You know, it never works like that. You always end up kind of tweaking or something. So every example you come up with is always kind of a slight variation. Well, I'm of sure the actual if you pattern. copied all your code from Wikipedia, it would all be about like animals and cars. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. That's right. But yeah, person I mean, dot walk. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, overall, it's a fairly simple pattern, and you know, it's one that you've probably seen a lot. Yep. But the the reason I specifically wanted to mention the the grid thing is because I I don't know what happens if one of those handlers throws an exception, but I assume that you know if handler number one or, you know, the event, I fire off my event and the first handler throws an exception, then the second one doesn't happen, right? Because the first thing kind of blew up. And that kind of defeats the purpose of this um, PubSub model. Well, like, that, well, that's why I was trying to visualize this as the notification thing, right? Because right. then, like, I don't care what your phone does. Yeah, right, if your phone right? blows up, it doesn't affect right. all the other Yeah, so, so a notification just, is sent from the server to my phone because I subscribe to that for, you know, whatever that event is. You know, notify me of weather events in my area, Right. Yep. So I don't care what happens on your phone when you receive the notification, but you know when I get it, I might respond to it in some way. And so I was kind of like trying to visualize that as like you know a, a, a pub sub environment where you, you know each each responder to the event can happen independently of the others, and it doesn't matter you know how they right. react to it. Right. Oh, Fair another enough. good example is our mailing list. If you join our mailing list, <laughs> if you subscribe to it, then whenever we actually send out uh, a message, then you'll receive it, and you can theoretically unsubscribe. Uh, otherwise, we'll just kind of keep Whoa, sending wait, them what? forever. Wait, there's no such thing as yeah, no. Don't the do that, observer don't do pattern does not does not cover unsubscribe. <laughs> right. It's strictly pub sub. Right. I don't know. Like now, you're trying to make it pub sub unsub. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So right, now it's the Gang of Five book, right? So, <laughs> so we have now beat that one to death. Uh, 
What's what's the uh oh wait wait hold on Joe actually had uh some really good things on here some consequences of it yeah I was just looking at the gang of four books for like the downsides of this pattern and they were kind of weak but I thought they were kind of interesting anyway so one is abstraction layer hopping so that's when um you you, you know theoretically your sender and your receivers don't know anything about themselves or you know they don't have to know anything about themselves if you're talking about disparate systems or whatever so if you've got something that's um, you know, system B is attached to system A or it's watching system A, then, you know, these guys are kind of, they have this relationship and it may be kind of hopping layers. When I say layers, I mean things like security or like network models or, you know, whatever else. Like I can, you know, theoretically, I can attach some sort of application. Um, I, I keep saying it at different words. I should be saying my application observes say, an event on my network card. And so every time I send a packet, it does something. But when I do that, I'm kind of ignoring all these layers in between that do things like, you know, useful things like making sure packets get, you know, received in the same order or, you know, UDP, TCP, you know, all sorts of stuff. You know, who cares? But uh, the idea is that, you know, you're kind of shortcutting this system and that isn't necessarily a good thing. Yeah, that that's definitely an interesting consequence to this. Yep, and kind of similar to that too, there's also this notion of um, the, the basic pattern doesn't really account for any sort of queuing or ignoring. So, you know, is, you can imagine a big system where there's a whole lot of, of observer, of sorry, subscribers, and not necessarily something you accounted for, you know, when you just programmed your initial, you know, node, the thing that's being observed. And so now there's a whole lot of traffic going on and, and maybe you are um, either your observer is sending out too much data, or your actual um, the things that are doing the observing are actually getting flooded because there's just too many events being thrown. And because these things aren't attached, you don't have a good way of you know really negotiating that relationship. And so any sort of queuing or ignoring or smoothing or whatever is really up to you as an implementer on both sides. Cool. All right, and now it's your turn again. <laughs> oh my gosh, let me catch my breath. Well, you, you said so a lot, so much there. I was still trying to like uh, just soak all that in to figure out like exactly how to respond back to it. Well, you know, if you think of the example of kind of you know watching like network card events, who's sending packets or something like that, that's a lot of traffic. I don't know if you ever done like Wireshark in your computer network and just kind of yeah, watch a the times. flood come in. It's it's a lot of information. So if you attach something to that, you know, like um, some sort of um, but now I, I like really because at first when you said that the uh, the specific Gang of Four design pattern book had some what you felt were weak uh, consequences at first it's kind of like weak come on man that that book's pretty strong right. and now I'm like oh yeah I might I might agree with that assessment yeah <laughs> like you know I have um, let's say you know a real loose example here I've got some sort of program that can attach to a stream and it will write it to the screen right to console. So, okay, that's cool, and that's, you know, a nice little solid functional piece that I can take and compose into other things. Well, now I take that and hook that up to my network card, and so now it's, you know, printing every, you know, everything that's going through my network card. And clearly, the network card has got a lot more information going on than can be quickly written to screen in, like, ASCII. And so you're gonna, it's going to be an overload of information. You're quickly going to eat up your memory. Mm-hmm. And it's just not going to be able to print out as quickly as the information going back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're going with that. I'm just still like, I guess as far in turn in regards to consequences, though, really trying to come up with a, like a, a real more a more practical uh, 
example of those consequences. Yeah, it's just kind of weird because you've got these two building block things that you should just be able to kind of stick together. But this is an example where you know you do kind of have to know a little bit about what you're sticking together, which is kind of you know coupling mm-hmm. in a way. Well, yeah. that's just kind of understanding the two things that you are trying to put together. So, yeah. yep. All right. Yep. Well, I think we've beat that one up. All right. Uh, so Observe moving on this. to uh, chain of responsibilities, which uh, I picked because it was always a little bit confusing to me. And so uh, I wanted to read up on it a bit. And after reading up on it a bit, um, it, it is kind of confusing. And <laughs> I think it's confusing because there's not a real strong use case for it. So I can give you a real world example. And this is the one that you find in the Gang of Four book. Or basically, if you've ever been a part of a company that, you know, a large company that had some sort of procurement or purchasing program where it's like, if your request is under $50, then it's approved. Who cares? And if it's um, greater than 50 and less than 250, your manager has to sign off on it. And if it's, you know, greater than 250, but less than 500 accounting, and if it's less than 5,000, greater than 500, then your CEO has to be the one to say, you know, yes, this is good. And so this is an example where, and this is a bad example of inheritance, actually, where you're, um, <laughs> you inherit from a manager, the manager inherits from accounting, and accounting you know, inherits from the CEO. And you say, in this example, um, if it's greater than 50, pass it to my parent. And the parent, which in this case is the manager, says, well, if it's greater than 250, pass it up a level. And so you can see there's this kind of this inheritance chain of responsibility where if I'm not equipped to deal with this, then pass it up a chain. Another example here is like the military where it's like, you know, maybe this is, I, I don't really know my ranks, but if the lieutenant isn't qualified to make this decision okay. or certified. Hold on. Before we get crazy about this, because sure. there's a really great real world, real world example that we all use every day that is chain of responsibility. Oh, yeah. And that's the exception handling. Okay. Right? <clears throat> so this same, um, you know, because... I was trying to find like what's a what's a great example that actually exists within .NET or any other language, right? And I, I stumbled across this gem of an answer on Stack Overflow, and we'll include this in the the show notes too. But um, you know, it said that th- this is why exception handling is an example of the chain of responsibility. Okay, one, the sender will not know which object in the chain will serve its request, right? Number two. Each node in the chain may decide to serve the request, i.e. catching an exception and wrapping it with an application-specific exception, right? Or three, each, or I should say and, uh, three, each node can forward the request, i.e. throw in the exception to the immediate caller, or four, none of the nodes can serve the request, i.e. it leaves it up to the caller, right? Which I mean, if you think about like when you do uh, a catch statement, right, you're going to say like, okay, um, a catch null reference exception, right? And so you're, you're trying to catch a specific type of exception. So if the exception that comes up, that bubbles up is of that type, right, then you're going to deal with it. Otherwise, you're going to let it go on up the, up the call stack, right? So this is like in your example of if it's less than $50, then do this. Otherwise, I don't want to hear about it. You know, let that, bubble up to somebody else. I don't want to deal with it. Right. Yep. 
It's not yeah, absolutely. And it's an, this is another example where it's not 100% the pattern as described in the book because there's no inheritance. There's no notion of this element in the chain, you know, passing it to its parent. But it's conceptually the same thing where you shoot this thing off and you don't really know who's going to end up dealing with it. All, all that you really care about is just sending your message in the first place. Right. And, and I found, I found this other great quote too regarding, um, there's this pattern and the observer pattern, also the command pattern and the mediator pattern, but uh, that we can include too. But all of the, the these four patterns, chain of responsibility, command, mediator, and observer, they each address how you decouple the senders and the receivers, right? But each has different trade-offs, right? right. So, so if you think about like that, you know, go back to our discussion just a moment ago about the observer pattern, right? It, it was a like a pub-sub kind of model where almost kind of like a fire and forget, right? And, and in that case, everyone who wanted to listen to your events, they would subscribe to them. But in this case, it's a fire and forget. And it's, oh, well, I don't want to listen. I might not want to listen to all of your messages, but I want to listen to these specific ones. And if it's these specific ones, then I will react to it like null reference exception. Otherwise, I don't want to hear about it. Right, and I, I think that's actually, um, you know, it's a really important distinction to make between chain of responsibility and ob- the observer pattern. The observer pattern, you know, I want everyone who's observing me to know about this. And the chain of responsibility, the big difference here and kind of the commonality that you'll find when you look at all these examples online is that there's always one object that handles request and then done. So it kind of jumps out of the chain at that point and it doesn't continue, whereas observer you know, everyone deals with the event. Everyone's subscribing chain. It's, you know, you're going down a chain and as soon as it hits, then there's a match, then done. Does it automatically get popped off at that point or can it keep going down the chain? And so in chain responsibility, um, it, the chain kind of always lives in this one chain. I guess you can add to it dynamically or, or remove items, but really it's like, you know, once you hit the manager or the counting or, you know, in the, the exception example, once you get caught once, you're unless done. it rethrows, you're done. Oh, right. so but that was my question. So, like with the exception handling, you can rethrow and keep going back up, right? But that's but you've made the decision though, right? To push so it you, back so up. you decided to catch it. You might have done some action, right? Maybe you logged a message or you know you, whatever, and then you either decided let me rethrow the exception as it is to let it continue on, or maybe I want to take this null reference exception to continue on with that example. And maybe I want to throw a new exception that might be more meaningful to my specific application, right? To help me later on diagnose any problems. Right. So then, so then I'm taking what was there and I'm, I'm reacting to that, creating a new exception to throw up to it. See, this one's interesting because I was thinking it kind of fit along the, uh, like, uh, in, in your browser, the Dom event bubbling, type thing right because it can be caught except the differences though and, and that's why i asked the specific question about whether or not it throws it out after it uses it because in the dom you know the ele- the the event happens at the element and then it bubbles up to the to the parent node then the parent node all the way on up to the document but here's the deal in the dom hierarchy of event bubbling it only stops if you tell it to stop, if you tell it to stop propagation, then that's what happens. So that's why I was wondering. That's why I was curious about how this was going to be worded there, because you don't. It, instead of saying, "Yeah, go ahead and keep going up to the parent," it just does it implicitly until, unless you tell it to stop propagating up. Right. So that's the point. That that's the difference here is that, like in the in the observer pattern, once the event is fired, every subscriber to that is going to have a chance to 
to but, react to it. In in the chain of responsibility example, it's going to follow a path. But the DOM is that, and that's what I'm saying. This has nothing to do with the observer. right. But what I'm saying is that, like like in the in the chain of responsibility path, it, it follows that path. And if at any point during that path, it decides, hey, let's just react to this situation and don't continue sending that up, then it stops. But that's, I guess that's my question. So what we were saying earlier is you were saying that the chain of responsibility basically cuts it off when it gets to it, unless you tell it to continue going. So would the DOM event bubbling be a chain of responsibility? Because it doesn't stop if you, if you actually intercept it at that level. It keeps going unless you specifically tell it not to keep going. Yep, and so there's this example, um, and, and you know, this is one of those things where this is vague. There's, you know, the ch- there's the strict definition of chain of responsibilities, and then there's the real world. There's this <laughs> notion of intercepting filters, and sometimes you'll see chain of responsibilities being in, and also known as for intercepting filters, and sometimes you'll see people define it a little bit different. But the notion there is that you've got this this chain of filters, and each one can do something to the message that it receives. And sometimes it can say, "Okay, I'm done." And sometimes it can just slightly change the message and pass it on. And that's the kind of notion of filter. So if you think about a photograph, you know, you might add a, uh, this filter, which brings out the yellows, and then another filter that makes it black and white, and another one that, you know, does something else to it. And so you can kind of chain these things together. And, you know, I'm using the word chains, but it's not, strictly speaking, the chain of responsibility. So in this okay. dominant event, it's something where it's, it's very similar to chain of responsibility, and I think anyone who's familiar with chain of responsibility, you know, is going to kind of see that and know what that means, and know that it's a slight alteration. Gotcha. But I think it's it's close enough to okay know, get a nod at least. It's a similar type pattern. All right, okay. right. And I actually, um, you know, I wanted to, to mention earlier we talked about the when Michael brought up the exceptions and kind of you know, and Alan said you know, rethrowing. So at that point, you're kind of starting a new chain. You're kind of continuing on dynamically. It's a little weird. But I saw this referred to as chain of chains, uh, otherwise known as a tree of responsibility, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of neat. So I wanted to throw that out there. Um, and also, I wanted to mention a little bit on, on filtering. There's an example. Um, uh, sorry, not on filtering. Uh, of just the chain of responsibility. An example of this might be, and this is another rough example, but HTTP handlers. Like if I've got a handler that knows how to deal with the AC, ASCX uh, file extension, you know, then it's going to kind of say, okay, I got this one, guys, and, and buck out. And you might have another HTTP handler that knows how to deal with uh, an image exception or whatever else, you know, a list of MIME types. And so these, these are all examples where it's kind of like once it's recognized, it can buck out and do its thing. Because the ISAPI filter would intercept it. And- right. Okay. But another kind of uh, example, something more along the lines of filters, is when you think about processing, like post-processing an HTTP request. So my, my server is sending out the HTML to the client, and I might have a bunch of filters in place that do things like strip all the white space, gzip it, um, you know, do whatever else, um, maybe even you know SSL, whatever. All that stuff is kind of decoupled from the sender. So that's an example of, of kind of more standard filtering where it doesn't do any sort of bucking out, but it's still related to the chain of responsibilities. So just another reminder, please do, if you get a chance and you remember this somewhere towards the end of your drive, uh, go into iTunes or Stitcher and just, you know, even if you just click the click the rating 
um that would be awesome but if you would take the time to leave us a few words that that you, would you be incredible pull the car over right now <laughs> get on your the get side on of the your curb. phone let's be safe pull over to the side of the curb you know in this shoulder area and go ahead and write write a review hold up can you, you know, tell siri I, to do that um <laughs> you know i'm sure you could dictate it if you wanted to well, depending on nice. You know, if it's uh, Android or uh, iPhone, you know, there's dictation methods for Windows Phone. And we, maybe we'd write an app that would do that for you. Hey, I'm, I'm all on board with that. <laughs> but, but, you know, the holidays are coming up, though. So, you know, this is, this is the time that you share. So, you give. Yeah. So, so share the show with a friend or friends and, you know, spread the word. Yep. So, end of, of shameless begging. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that'll never be done. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, our next pattern here that we were going to talk about this evening was the iterator pattern. Right. So, uh, just a brief um, definition of that one, right? So, the iterator pattern is a pattern in which the iterator is used to traverse a container and access the container's elements, all right? But the pattern decouples the algorithms from the containers, right? So the, um, uh, in some cases, the algorithms are necessarily container-specific and thus cannot be decoupled. So, Wait, what's a okay. container? Right. So, so <laughs> let's, say that, let's say that if we had to uh, take that, make, make a more uh, generic version of, of that um, statement, say that the, we abstract the iteration away from the collection, Right, so you have some kind of object type, and it has some collection of data in it. But the act of moving through, of iterating through that collection of data, is separate. Okay, right? so I've got a list, right? Okay, you got and a so list. an example of an, an iterator, and with my list here, it would actually be responsible for going through my list, node to node, and it's responsible for knowing how to get to the next item in the list. Yep. Okay. So, so if it's a singly so, linked list, a doubly linked list, if it's an array, doesn't matter. That's the iterator's responsibility. Yeah. The the okay. So here here's a you know specifically if we want to go with the gang of four definition, right? It provides a way to access the elements of an aggregate object sequentially without exposing its underlying representation. So let's let's not get too focused on on how to move through the data. It's just that you're not exposing that what that data is. Okay, right. so I could say like for each var x n blah, and it doesn't matter if it's a collection or a list or an enumerable or anything because that's hidden from me. All I care about is my x. I guess I guess what I'm really trying to get at with a better example though is instead of like, so okay, you're bringing up like list examples right that are in in the language already, but what I was thinking of is like it, let's say if you had to create something on your own, right, and whatever whatever that data is that. Um, you know, you have more than one of that you might want to allow someone to iterate over. You don't want to expose that part of it, right? But you want to allow them the ability to to um, traverse it and go from one to the next to the next. Okay, so it could be like the Fibonacci sequence where I say, "Give me the next one," and it's like, "All right." Okay, I'll, I like that example better three. because now because because now we're not too tied in onto the conversation of lists of lists or collections. Right? Uh, that, that's what I wanted to try to avoid was I, I don't want to get stuck into a conversation of list or arrays or anything like that. Okay, so the iterate it literally just knows how to kind of go to the next Move one. Move next. Right. Right? Fibonacci, primes, whatever. Like, uh, uh, that would be a great example. So, 
So like specifically when you would want to use this pattern is when you want to sequentially traverse whatever that collection m might be, right? And, and, and you want to decouple that traversal logic or algorithm away from the container, right? So you don't want the user to have to know what, wh how you're containing that data, right? Like behind the scenes, um, you know, you might have it listed as a dictionary, or, or you might have it contained in a hash table or a map or, you know, depending on you know, your language of choice here, right? You, you, you could have a whole bunch of different ways that you represent that data, an array, uh, an array list, a list item, you know, whatever it might be. But you don't want to expose that, but yet you still want to allow your uh, user the ability to, to uh, traverse through it and just say, like, you know, get next or for dot next or whatever. Okay. Right? So, um, yeah. so next time someone asks me to implement FizzBuzz, and I don't feel like doing the standard solution. I don't want to do the recursive solution, which we talked about. Um, I think if you're going for bonus points, then right. <laughs> I implement a sequence and an iterator, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get hired, right? Probably, probably. Yeah, or like so, not one of these guys. So we kind of already hit on this a little bit, but like you know, um, there were some examples of of where you might use this that are already baked into .NET, for example, right? And uh, you know, you mentioned for each as an example. Uh, Anything that's going to use the uh, I enumerable or I enumerator, uh, you know, interface types, you know, that those are implementing this inter um, this pattern, right? So there's plenty of examples that already live in the uh, within the uh, you know within .NET itself without even trying to look hard for one. Okay, I was thinking of like a file reader too. You know, you kind of like fetch the next line and you keep fetching until there's nothing left to fetch. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's another great example cuz like you don't want to care what, you know, how how the document is stored, right? Are you doing this line by line? Are you doing this like uh, based on some kind of size constraint, right? Maybe you're streaming this in, or you just want to say like get the next chunk. Get mm -hmm. the next chunk. Right? And that chunk might be a line, that chunk might be like the next, you know, 16 bytes, whatever it might be. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, so that that was uh, all I had to say. Oh, um, did want to mention the consequences? Oh <laughs> God, not the consequences. Yeah, I know. Well, so one thing. What I is it with you and consequences tonight? <laughs> I love to be a naysayer. Are you on Reddit? <laughs> <laughs> it was you. <laughs> Some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> so the deal, uh, as we mentioned, it tr the iterator is responsible for it's like sequentially, and that's the keyword there. Sequentially keeping track of its its state, its location in this list. So what happens if I say? Um, you know, for each uh, element in Fibonacci sequence. And then inside that loop, I say, for each element in Fibonacci sequence. Now I've got two loops accessing the same iterator. And what's going to happen is, you know, the first loop's going to hit the first element. We're going to hit that second loop. And the second element isn't going to start back over, right? Because there's only, you know, we're ha this is happening in sequence. There's only one copy. Right, you basically like, skip over. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's that as a as a example consequence. There's another one where uh, that uh, I'm I'm sure at one point or another we've all hit this example and be like, oh crap, not that crap again. Where uh, you you have some collection that that you're going through that um, implements one of the the interfaces i enumerable uh, or i enumerator, and 
what you want to do is you want to be able to modify that list as you're looping through it. Right. But then as soon as you do, there th- it throws up an exception because now the list, the, the, the container has changed. And so it's like, well, I don't know what to do. Where am I supposed to go next? Yep. Yep. Next just got deleted. Right? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, so so yeah. That 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 that's an example of a consequence, but yeah, it's it's worth uh it's oh, worth the it. ease that it provides in most in ninety nine percent of cases. Yeah. Uh, I mean link link was another example that I had where like, you know, within the dot net framework where you could do some simple um uh you know where you could move through uh an enumeration and uh you know, either take some kind of action selected or, you know, for each of these Right, right, and it actually u- utilizes yield. So, yeah, I should do more yielding. That's, <laughs> it's, it's cool. <laughs> so, not well, even when I drive. So, <laughs> wow, Georgia has so many yield Just signs. We do have lots of yield signs. Oh, like, why? Why do you need a yield sign to turn right? I, but, but there are so many people in Georgia that don't know how to drive. So, I mean, true. fair enough. Right, off uh, topic, sorry. Yeah. Wow. Anyways, talk about derailing. Yeah, I just yeah. got so mad. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was some definite pent up anger there. <sighs> nah. So uh, anyone that wants to observe his anger, you can just uh, <laughs> subscribe uh, to Coding Blocks. <laughs> <laughs> so on to uh, some resources we like this this go around. Uh, I already mentioned Code Academy earlier, or Code Academy, I should say, CodeAcademy.com. dot com. And that's where I did the Rails thing. And again, for anybody that's trying to learn something, uh, great interface. And it, it actually kind of makes it a little bit fun because they, they give you like little challenges to do along the way. And I mean, it's it's practical learning. I mean, it, it may not be the deepest ever, but you, you can literally pick up some nice stuff along the way. Like I feel like I could actually look at, at a Rails application now and at least understand what's going on. So... Yep, and also got to mention the Gang of Four book, uh, Design Patterns. We'll have a link to that in the show notes and also Carl's site. Have we ever talked about that one before? I don't think so. We've mentioned it quite a few times, but just in case this is your first episode. Maybe we can include a link in the show notes for that one. Definitely head to the website. You can get a link to the book, and and this is the book, and it's still on version number one. Yes. Yeah, and when was it printed? Like 94 or something like that? I think it might be 80 or something. It might be public domain soon. You can publish your own version. (laughs) It's up on Google Books now. No, it was copyright copyright 1994. Wow. Yeah, so, so... what twenty years later, they still got it right. We haven't even found a need to like. Hey, yeah, uh, there's this typo over here. Can you guys uh, fix that? I think it's just trim out the visitor. Do you think that? Do you think that it's because that like they actually got everything right? There is nothing grammatical or you know no spelling mistakes, no typos. Like they got it all right. Or do you think they're just like I'm not doing that. I don't care. I think honestly, I think there are so many different interpretations. There are so many different variations of each one of these patterns that there's nothing that really quite matches the book. That they're like. You know what? There, you really can't write up just one example that's going to apply to, to you know so many different patterns. So this is Maybe, close enough. You know, I, I bet I know what it is. It's revisions for for the book are dealt with by the chain of responsibility, and every one of the authors is like, not it. They short circuited it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not it. Nope. I think visitors scared them off. They're like, I don't, I don't want to go through that chapter again. Yeah. Well, Reddit exists now, and they don't want to be exposed to that nastiness, right? Oh man, <laughs> trolls. <laughs> so. Uh, the next one. What you got? So, oh yeah, were you going to talk about your next uh, resource there? 
Uh, oh, yeah, Pluralsight. Uh, we mentioned uh, there's a great video. I need to find the link, and uh, we'll have that in the show notes. But Pluralsight is awesome. It's got some great videos on design patterns. Oh, yeah, I remember which one you're talking about. Like, there's a. Uh it's got like every author from Pluralsight ever that's ever made a video yes. or ever thought about making a video. It's all nice. contributed to one. I think there's video. 25 total that they have. Like, and it grows. Like they keep adding to adding it, to it. It's like a mass. I think it, I I know the one you're talking about is called like the Design Patterns Library. I think. Yep. And it's uh, it's like 16 hours of of video content from Pluralsight. But if you speed it up, it could be eight. double, <laughs> double speed. Reduce that down to eight. Yeah, All right. I, I, there's a ton of just design patterns if you search for it in plural side. I was going to look on Linda too to see uh, how many there were, but yeah. So the last you know, let, let's get into the tips of the week here. So I found this great little thing. So uh, when we were having our database episode, one of the database episodes, we had mentioned this great little tool that I forget which one of you guys had found. Where essentially what you could do is you it was a website that you could go to. You could select what database manager you wanted to target, then you could create a schema for it in one pane of the window. And then in a separate one, you could write queries against that. And then you could generate a unique URL that you could then share with a friend to say, this is an example of what I'm talking about. Given this schema, you could do this query and it returns this result, right? Well, I found the exact same thing, but for code. And it is fantastic. And we'll have the link in the show notes, but if you go to rextester.com, what you can do is you can select from your language. So they have assembly, C sharp, C, C, the list goes on. Objective C is in there, Java, JavaScript, Ruby, Python, whatever. Right? You can pick your your the language that you want, what kind of editor you want to use. You can write the the code, right? You can then run it see any compiler warnings that are going to happen. You can see the output of you running it and you can create a, a unique uh, URL that you can then share with a friend. So you can say, this is the code that I'm talking about. If you did this, this is the, the, you can see the result for it. Just such a great little uh, you know, ability to share code without someone else needing to install something like a Visual Studio, for example, or any kind of compiler, but yet they could still see the effect of something. I love the interwebs. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice for sharing uh, sharing little code snippets. It, it's it's very similar to uh, what uh, JS uh, Ben or what was JS uh, Fiddle. JS Fiddle's one. Um, it's just like that, except for compiled languages. It's beautiful. Yeah. And they have some scripting ones, but yeah, it's cool. Cool as yep. that. So the thing I wanted to mention was actually a Chrome plugin called Postman. And what this lets you do is issue REST requests. So if you're doing, if you're working with a REST API over Git, you know, then it's not such a big deal. You just kind of tweak the stuff in your URL and then see what you get back. But if you're using the, all the, the verbs you're supposed to use, like link, unlink, really the one you're using is going to be post or delete or update, then, um, oh, there is no update, is there? Yeah. Anyway, uh, if what you're doing is post, then uh, you can actually use it to pass your parameters easily. You don't have to do any sort of weird fiddler stuff. You don't have to mess around. It's just right there in your browser. You can hook up your URL. Here's my parameters and uh, set it to post or update or whatever and hit it and get your response back. So it's nice for testing uh, those REST APIs. Oh, dude, that's sweet. I've always used uh, Fiddler for that. 
Was, I think it's much easier. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you, you can use Fiddler, but you basically have to create it from an existing request. Yeah, this is sweet. And it saves your history and everything. It's actually, it's really nice. But can't, you can do that same thing with Fiddler, though, right? No, yeah, no, you but can save Fiddler, the, you can, but you got to, it's a whole lot easier if you start from a base request that you've already made. This allows you to build it up from scratch. Yeah, and it's, just, it's really easy. It's, it's very specific to this one task, so it's nowhere near as powerful as Fiddler. But it's just really easy and lightweight. And for uh, those that haven't ever experienced Fiddler, it's a tool from Telerik. Yep, and if you're not an admin on your machine, you can probably still install this extension. Yeah, and that's another thing, too, just uh, in in support of this, as opposed to Fiddler's, Fiddler's only on Windows. Oh, and, good point. And you could do this on basically anything. So, that, very sweet. Uh, all right, so my tip of the week. So, from my Reddit uh, fun that I had... Uh, JS Perf came out of this, and I'm sure that I've been to this site before, and I don't know why it never stuck out. But JSPerf.com, if there's anything that you ever want to test, and I and I know I've seen this site before because uh, when I was looking at different types of data grids like JS data grids, I found a comparison of some of the most popular ones out there, and it's excellent. Anything that you do. Um, you can put in multiple different uh, chunks of code and have it run performance tests against all of them, and it will actually do charts and graphs and, and data plots for you. And so you can actually see, hey, is jQuery faster than you know uh, ext for doing a DOM element get or something? Like, I mean, there you can literally whatever you can think of or dream up, you can put in these different chunks of JavaScript code and have it compare it and. And just like JS Fiddle or some of these other ones, you can then save off that URL and reference it later so that other people can come look at your JS performance test. So a uh, fantastic resource. Uh, definitely we will have a link for that in the show notes. Sweet. And we hope you learn a little bit about the behavioral patterns we discussed tonight, observer channel responsibilities and iterators. And, you know, yeah, so subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or more using your favorite podcast app. Be sure to leave us reviews. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, we've mentioned before, but, you know, uh, we'll, we'll give shout-outs if you want to write us in with any kind of preferred method of contact or, or you know, your method of uh, uh, recognition there. Yep, and, and definitely contact us with a question or topic. And leave, uh, oh, God, you just did that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you didn't say the contact. No, no, question. go on. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. Yeah. So, you know, if you have any questions, contact us with a question or a topic idea. Leave us your name, preferred method to shout out, and uh, we'll be sure to mention you. And, uh, you know, you can reach us at uh, comments at codingblocks.net. Yep, and uh, visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find our show notes, which are extremely detailed and painstakingly formed for you. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Yeah, we'll have some examples and stuff, too. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at coding blocks and uh if you guys can think of any examples in dotnet framework or any open source projects or anything that the, the patterns we've talked about so far we would love to see them so you know it doesn't have to be a question that you necessarily have to uh send us you know send us anything so i'd be curious to hear some like interesting visitor pattern uses <laughs> yes please if you have any visitor examples please we would love to see them i've never seen real them. world i don't want to see an article i want to see a link to source code like like the first just all right, the first pattern that comes to mind when you've seen encode, what is it? Factory. Factory, right? Well, it's the first one in the book, so. 
Uh, yeah, that's, but, that's about as far as most people get in the book. <laughs> I've never seen the visitor pattern anywhere except on Wikipedia now. <laughs> I've gotten it confused with the, the um, iterator pattern before just because it sounds like it's visiting each node, but that's really not how it works. Yeah, it's not yeah. even close. It, it hurts my head. All right. That's a, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> So, when I see a door with a push sign, I pull first to avoid conflicts. <laughs> nice. Uh, you want another? All right. Don't you mean update and commit? <laughs> okay, okay. Who, who, who wants to be the receiver of this one? One of you guys got a picture. Joe does. Okay, Joe is. Apropos. All right, you ready, Joe? Here we go. Here we go. Knock, knock. Race condition. Uh... Who's there? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, tough crowd. (laughs) Oh, I'm I'm smiling.